Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. You might be saying, well, why isn't Brian up here since they just did that? But I'm going to be gone the end of this month, and so Brian will, uh, you'll be blessed by him at the end of the month. And uh, already most of you don't think I do anything anyway, so if I was to take two Sundays off in one month, they'd be saying all kinds of rumors about me. So you're stuck with me after that, but I just want to thank them, and I hope that you will take just a moment to thank our youth and young folks for for doing that, for being willing to step up when Jamie uh, was not here. If you have your Bibles this morning and you would find Mark chapter 1 as we're going through the book of Mark, and uh, today I want to talk about our example for ministry. A lot of people have a lot of thoughts on what church should be like, on what churches should do, um, what we as individual Christians should do, and my uh, thoughts on all of that is, is I really don't care. I want to know what Jesus said. I want to know what Jesus did. Uh, because the Word of God promises us that He is the perfect example. And as this church reaches into a point of its life where uh, God has blessed it, God has, has been good to it, all churches have to make decisions on what things will be like. All Christians have to make decisions on what things will be like. And so today I hope this will help you to be able to look at your own life and the life of the church that you belong to and say, are we headed in the right direction or not? I want to read from uh, last week's text because I don't want you to say, well, Jake, you just made this up yourself. This is what it says. So if you would stand with me out of a reverence to reading God's Word. I want to read Mark 1, verses 21 through 28, what we looked at last week, and then move right on in to this week's text. Starting in verse 21, it says, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority he commands even the unclean spirits? And they obey him. Immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. If you would pray with me. Father, we come today, Lord, looking for you and to you for everything. Lord, we claim no wisdom, we claim no power, we claim no authority. Lord, outside of who you are and what you give us. Today, Lord, I pray that you would help this sinful, wicked man that I am proclaim your truth. Lord, being knowing fully, completely, that the only thing good in me is you. And so, Father, we just pray that you would work in a mighty way. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we looked last week about how Jesus set the pattern on the Sabbath day, the Old Testament's seventh day of the week that when the local congregation gathered, he went. And so if you want to know what God's will for your life is, 
When Sunday comes, you should be in the house of the Lord, worshiping the Lord, learning the scriptures, hearing what God has to say, watching how God is at work. And I made the statement that got me in quite a bit of trouble this week that if you want to know how spiritual we are, just listen to the conversations in the lobby. Is there any discussion about Jesus at all? Or is it everything else? And so we looked at that last week and we looked here how when the power of God is in a place, lives are changed. Now it's not always demons being driven out of people. Sometimes it's marriages being restored. Sometimes it's sinners being saved. Sometimes it's God's people realizing they need to ask for forgiveness or to forgive. But if God is changing you, then the power of God is. Is at work in you? And so we looked at that. We've looked at this experience when we gather together. But then what? You can only gather one or two days a week. You could gather every day. But uh, we have lives to live and places to be where God sends us. But look what it says in verse 29. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, Jesus has left the local congregation, he's left the local worship service, he's left the Bible teaching, and now as he goes. And this morning, that's what I want to talk to you about in your life is when you leave this place, who are you being? When this church, when this 9 o'clock hour rolls around here and its service is over, then what? When the 11.15 service ends or 11.30, whenever that gets over, when it's over, then what? What will make this a church that God can bless? What will make you as a family what God can bless? And now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. And they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her, and she served them. So uh, if you know anything about the Jewish Sabbath, you can only walk a certain amount of a distance. You can only do a certain amount of things. So Jesus leaves the synagogue, and he goes straight to this closest house that they have, Simon's home, and his mother-in-law is sick. First thing I want to show you about what Jesus sets us the example is this. Jesus ministered privately among his people. Jesus ministered privately among his people. The multitudes were not there at this time. They were observing the Sabbath. They were in their own homes. They were in their own areas of worship. And Jesus goes to the people who are closest to him. These first disciples that he has called, and there's a burden There's someone sick. And we know that this illness would have been life-threatening, the fever, and then Luke describes it as well. And Jesus heals her. And what I want you to see from this is, if you are going to be the person that God wants you to be, and if you are going to be the church that God wants you to be, you need to understand something, that God's people matter. This morning, if you are here, you matter. The people who would love to be here this morning but are physically unable matter. Whether it is their health, whether they are in a nursing home, whether they have become a shut-in, they matter. The needs that they have matter. And what happens here is these disciples, Jesus is revealing himself to them, showing that the power of God is real. 
that you should follow me because I can change you. You should follow me because I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. You should follow me because when I get involved, everything changes. And so many times what we hear from people is you shouldn't worry about the the body. You just need to reach people. You just need to reach people. You just need to reach people. But friends, if you forget about the people who sit in the pew in front of you or behind you, if you forget about the people who sit next to you in Sunday school, when they go through difficulties and challenges and struggles and problems, you stop being the church that God wants you to be. Jesus went specifically to this group of people. Why? Because when Jesus touches you, it's for a purpose. Look what happens to this sick woman once she is better. And she served them. God changes you not just to sit and soak. God doesn't save you just to sit and enjoy. God changes you to put you to work, to get you involved to use your spiritual gifts. You say, Jake, that's not what I think being a Christian means. Look up here. You're wrong. And if you're here today and God has given you the abilities and talents to serve and you are not, you are living in sin. You say, wait a second. If you know to do good and do not do it, it is... And the Word of God tells us that He has saved you, He has changed you, He has brought you here for a purpose, and that is to love one another. What does that look like? I'm glad that you asked. One, this was the very first kitchen committee. What do you think this lady got up and did? Fed them. Served them. Took care of them. Well, well, I don't, I don't cook. That's great. That's fine. We've got other things. You could take that young family that's here for the first time that's got a screaming, crying kid. Some of you old people look over and why is that kid still in church? He's bothering me. Well, I tell you what, volunteer to work in the nursery. Right? Go in there and work in the nursery and help where that mother and that father can sit in worship and worship God and honor God. Why? Because not necessarily that you like listening to screaming kids, but you love people in their time of need. Maybe it's going and visiting a shut-in. Maybe it's going and visiting someone in the hospital. Maybe it's working in vacation Bible school. You recognize that the people that God sends here matters. And this church is called to love each other. Don't expect God to send new people and lost people and more people if you are not willing to help care for the people that God has already sent you. You say, well, I'm just too busy. Suck it up, buttercup. Recognize something, that God's people matter, that God's families matter, that God's work matter. Listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary while doing good. Why would, why would we have to be told that? Because we grow weary doing good. Doing good is hard sometimes. Doing the work of God is exhausting sometimes. Caring for people, loving people, sacrificing for people. And he says, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You see, you're going to go through seasons where you love people, where you serve people, where you care about people, and it looks like nothing is happening. 
for a pastor, you have to recognize sometimes that you can preach to people, you can visit people, you can love people, you can pray for people, and then when it comes time for decisions, nothing happens. But if you keep doing what God asks you to do, fathers, you might be saying, Jake, I'm trying to be the man of God in my home. I'm trying to be the man of God for my children. And it doesn't seem like I'm seeing any results. Don't grow weary while doing good. For in due season, you will reap. Moms, you might be saying, Jake, I'm praying for my kids and I'm trying to bring them to church and my husband's lost and and he's heathen and, and he's making my life miserable. Don't grow weary doing good. Don't grow weary. Because look what it goes on in verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. So we should do as much good as we can, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially to those of the household of the faith. It is our mind priority to care for God's people first. To be there when God's people need something. You'll probably never hear when the church pays someone's electric bill. You might not ever hear when someone that's a shut-in gets a visit. You might not ever hear when someone who is struggling gets counseling. Why? Because we're to care for one another privately. But what's the second thing we see from Jesus here? Jesus not only ministered privately, Jesus ministered publicly to the community. Look in verses 32 and 34. At evening, that's when the Sabbath restrictions were lifted. When the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. You see, what Jesus was doing began to spread. And people begin to say, I have a sick child. I have an ailment that can't be cured. I have a family member that's demon-possessed. And if I can just get them to Jesus, Jesus can change everything. And that should be the motto of our church, that Jesus can change everything. We can reach into the lostness and brokenness of our community. We can reach into the lostness and brokenness of McLeansboro and Dahlgren and Dale and Broughton and Carmine and Wayne City and Benton and Harrisburg and all the places that we have believers living that come to church here. We have to believe that Jesus can change the lives of their neighbors, of their family of the people they shop next to, the people they bowl next to, the the people that they underwater basket water weaving to, or whatever it is. Jesus shows us that we are to minister privately, but we're also to minister publicly. This last week, a few people from church built a wheelchair ramp for a man that has got cancer and can't get in his own home, does not go to church here, but yet why? We are to minister to the community. We're to love people who are hurting. And Jesus sets this example for us. So if you become a church that only worries about these group of people, you're not the church God wants you to be. But if you think these people don't matter and just those people that are not yet part of the church matter, you're wrong. You have to do both. You have to care for your own children and your own marriage before you can what? Help others. 
That's why the Bible says that a pastor who cannot rule his own home well is disqualified. That means he is unable. That means he is restricted from shepherding a local congregation. Why? Because we're called to minister where God has us first, and when we've ministered there, to then push forward, to publicly make a difference. Listen to what James says in James chapter 2, verse 14 and 17. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now that's something we don't think a lot about. But what does it say there? If your faith doesn't have works, it is dead. And so my job from from my calling that God has given me is to ask you, are there any evidence that you are a child of God? Is there any evidence by how you love other people? Are you willing to sacrifice anything to reach other people, to serve other people, to, to, to do what God has asked you to do? You say, Jake, but I believe the right things. The demons even believe. That's why Jesus wouldn't let them speak. They knew He was the Son of God. They knew that He had created all things. They knew who He was, but yet it did not mean they were children of God. Friends, this morning, you've got to believe what the Bible says, but you've got to be willing to what? Apply it to your life. You have to not only believe that Jesus Christ died upon the cross, was buried, rose again, and has become the Lord and Savior of your life, but then you have to allow Him to work through you, to work through the gifts that He's given you, through the time that He's given you, to bring glory and honor to His name. Third and final thing, and hopefully you'll get a, another week of short sermons here. Jesus ministered privately among the people of God. Jesus ministered publicly to the community. But don't miss this last one. Jesus focused on prayer and reaching the lost. Jesus focused on prayer and reaching the lost. You say, Jake, what order do these fall? The same order that Jesus does them. Look what it says in verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. and There he prayed. And Simon and the others who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in the synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. I want you to notice just a couple things very quickly with me. If Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, needed time to get alone and pray, who do we think we are when we don't? If it was so important that God in the flesh needed to get alone and pray and refocus and hear from heaven, so do you and so do I. Most of every spiritual problem that you have in your life and I have in my life is because we're not getting alone with God. 
We're so busy, we're so tired, we're so stressed, we're so exhausted. We're always looking at what to do next. And we're robbing ourselves of what God can do in our life. And so you would say, well, why wasn't Jesus up first thing in the morning healing more people, delivering more people from demons? They were even coming and looking for Him. Because Jesus recognized something. Friends, you and I need the power and presence of God in our life if we are going to continue to do what God has asked us to do for any length of time. That's why so many people, they get to church, they get fired up, they get excited, they get all worked up about what they can do for the Lord, and then in six months, what? You can't find them. Right? They came for the action, they came for the excitement, they came for the things, but yet what you realize is the Christian faith is not based on any of that. It's based on Him. Being a Christian is based on having a relationship with a God who loves us, who died for us, who cares about us, who is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, who is a God that saw us in our need and in our sin and in our brokenness and said, I'm going to save them. I'm going to have a relationship with them. I'm going to come through the power of the Holy Spirit and presence and indwell them. They shall be the temple of God. That is what God offers us. And that's what Jesus sets the example here. Why? Because if God's going to use you, you need to be in prayer. I'm going to say this, and this is going to get me in as much trouble as my statement last week. When a church has 800 people, and prayer meetings run 18, you're in a dangerous place. Don't ask me how many we had in the last prayer meeting, because I'll tell you. When God's people are willing to work, but not willing to get along with God and worship, you're in a dangerous place. Oh, it might look good on the outside. It might still work for a while, but I'm telling you it won't last. Anything that is not bathed in prayer, anyone who is not spending time with God in prayer, though they might be faithful for a season, though they might be on fire for God for a season, Eventually, Satan pours cold water on it. Why is it the Bible says to bring every thought captive? Because Satan is always trying to put things in your mind to draw you away from Jesus. He's always trying to put things in your mind that causes you to doubt and to have fear and have discouragement. Matthew, the fifth chapter, describes it like this. You were the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The reason that Jesus healed, the reason that Jesus delivered people from demons was not to make their lives better here, but it was to open the door for them to see that He had the power, that He had the authority, and His message that He came to preach. Because it's not just about prayer. It says, then He says, my mission is to preach. And to preach what? The gospel, the good news, that Jesus, the Son of God, has came 
to deliver the people from their sins, to set the captive free, to give sight to the blind, to give hope to the hopeless. He says, I have come to preach the good news that salvation is available, that you can be saved, you can have hope, you can have eternal life. And so friends, while we built a wheelchair ramp this last week, and while we'll visit the sick, those are wonderful things to do, but they are not what is really the focus. We do everything we do so that we show people that we are different so that we can do what? Tell them about Jesus and what He has done for us. There are great organizations that do good things. There are great nonprofits that help people. But friends, there is only one message that can forever change a person's life. There is only one message that can forever change someone's eternity. And that is the message that Jesus Christ loves them. That He came and took on flesh. That He lived a perfect and sinless life. That He willingly went to the cross, took your sin and my sin, and took the punishment of God, the judgment of God, for our sins. He was dead, he was buried, but then he arose, conquering sin and death and the grave, and whosoever will can come. Whosoever will can put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he can forgive you of all of your sin. He can forgive you of all of your shame. You can be brought into the family of God forever. Everything we do is to earn the privilege and right to preach that message. Why do we feed kids at Vacation Bible School? Not because they just need to be fed, but because they need to be loved. Loved by a group of people who can then share the gospel. Why do we give up five mornings in one whole week of our summer to sing to kids and to teach kids and to love on kids and do crafts with kids? Not because they need somewhere to be, but because we're loving them because we want the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And friends, these principles can be applied to your life personally. They should be applied to this church corporately. And this is the conclusion from Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 says, Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to Him. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with what sacrifices God is well pleased. What he says is you better not forget to worship God, but you better not forget to work for God. If you forget to worship, your work's useless. And if you worship but you don't work, it's useless. Worship and work for the Lord. If you've ever been to our new members class, you will hear there are three terms that we use. If you go up to the youth, you have saw them for the last decade. Connect, grow, and serve. We want people to come and connect to Jesus through worship. We want them to grow in their knowledge of the scriptures through small groups. And we want them to serve with the talents that God has given them here and in the community. You say, well, Jake, that's really catchy. Where did you come from? Where did that come from? Mark chapter 1! It wasn't creative. It wasn't great. It was the pattern that Jesus set. He went into the synagogue. He taught. He worshipped. He grew. 
with other people. He connected through worship. And then when he left the building, he put those gifts and abilities to work. And this morning, friends, it's that simple. It's not easy, but it's that simple. If this church wants to be the church that God can bless, these are the steps. If you and your family want to be the family and individual that God can bless, it is these steps. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, the righteousness of God, and all things will be added to you. When your priorities and my priorities get right, I believe there is no limit to what God can do through us. Father, we thank you so very, very much for your word. Lord, I pray today that you'd forgive me for all of my stuttering and stammering and the confusion that I have. Lord, I pray that you would remove me from the equation. I pray right now, Lord, that as this time of invitation comes, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in this group of people. No other church, Lord, is the concern this morning. You can work with them and deal with them and bless them. But, Lord, this congregation in this local place made up of these local believers, Father, I pray that your spirit is changing us, is dealing with us, is making us who you want us to be. Father, show us the sin, the struggles, the defeats that we're going through that need victory. Father, I pray today especially for anyone in this place that's lost. Lord, knowing that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner is saved, I pray, Lord, that you would work and move in every heart here today, Lord, that no one can leave here not knowing how much you love them, how much you care about them. And Lord, help us as a church to genuinely love the people that you send here and the community that we have the privilege to serve. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.